very good morning. So wonderful to be in the house of the Lord this Laity Weekend. You know, Laity Weekend is just one weekend of the year where the laity get to preach. And you know what? Our pastors preach all other weekends of the year. And I would just like to just take a moment right now to give honour where honour is due. You know, I think our pastors have done so much for us. And I, I want to thank Pastor Clement and, and Pastor Ben for their ministry. Why don't we give them a big hand, shall we? For their ministry to us, for being our shepherds, for their care, and for the sacrifices that they've had to make and their families have had to make, to make so that we can be cared for. You know, it's so wonderful that we can be here together as, as one body on Lady Weekend. I want to just dive straight into the Word of God. And I want to speak today on the topic of moving deeper with God. Because I believe that God has a word for each and every one of us today. He wants to move us into a deeper walk with Him. He wants to move us into a deeper experience of God's grace. He wants to move us into a deeper manifestation of God's power. For truly a shallow world needs a deeper church. Can I hear an amen? Hallelujah. Let's go straight into the Word of God. And I'm going to read from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Hear these words of God. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at a time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Somebody say, look at us. Come on, somebody say, look at us. I think you guys need a bit more caffeine. Somebody say, look at us. Hallelujah. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something back from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. And I want to pause right here this morning because this verse right here is pregnant with power. The first thing that Peter said to him is, I don't have it. You know, that's actually where a lot of people get stuck in life, isn't it? A lot of people get stuck because you're fully aware of what you do not have. I do not have this, I do not have that. And so many of us are so preoccupied with what we do not have that we never step into the power of what we do have. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've got something. You've got something. But I want to thank God for Scripture. And I want to thank God for that comma, for that comma that, 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 that's in the punctuation because there's power in the punctuation. Peter didn't stop at what he did not have, but he goes on and says, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man. Somebody say, same man. Somebody say, same man again. Who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Oh, isn't the word of God so rich? Let us pray together. 
Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that there is power in your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who does miracles. Move us today deeper in our faith today to trust and believe that miracles are not just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but they are something that you are still doing today because you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so we stand on the power of your word today. We stand upon your promises and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, you who are our strength and our redeemer. For we pray these prayers in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. You know, God is a God of movement. But very often in life, we find ourselves getting stuck, isn't it? Let me start with this question. How many of you have been late for your flight at the airport before in your life? Late for a flight, raise your hands. All right, quite a number of you. So I'm not, I'm not alone. You know, it, it happened to me quite a couple of times. And if you are like me, and you have had the unfortunate experience of your name being called out in the public announcement system, final call, final call, so-and-so, please proceed to the gate for boarding, and you are nowhere near the gate. Uh, it's not an experience I wish on anyone. And it always seems to happen when your gate is like Z99, the very last gate at the end of the terminal building. And, and, and the only logical way to deal with this problem it's to run like you've never run before. And, you know, being a sprinter, as many of you know I was in the past, my school days, you know, one would think that that would be an advantage, just sprint like Shanti Pereira and get to the gate. <laughs> and I'm telling myself that I'm going to run as fast as I can and I'm going to just somehow get to that gate, always located at the furthest end of the terminal building, further than your eye can even see. And so picture this, I'm running at full steam ahead, running at you know, top speed and, and, and as I'm running, as I'm running, I will see something in the future that will let me know that miracles happen. I will see something like this. I will see one of those travelators or what some people call a moving walkway. And let me tell you, I love the moving walkway. I love the moving walkway because the moving walkway is like a miracle that has happened to you because if you just get on the moving walkway, it will expedite your trip. It will make you get there faster than you would have if you were not on the moving walkway. Well, human logic tells you that, right? But how I wish that was true because I found out that the only problem with the moving walkway are the people on the moving walkway who refuse to move or walk. And because the convention is, isn't it, that if you're going to walk, you know, you go on the right. Right? If you're going to stand, then go on the left. Sometimes in some countries, it's reverse. But the only problem is with the moving walkway is that very often, it's often not moving because people are standing still on both sides of the walkway and you're trying to rush and catch your flight and you're stuck. And it's so frustrating, isn't it, when people stand on a moving walkway that is supposed to help you move and you're stuck and there's no way around them and you wish you didn't even get on a moving walkway in the first place. Come on, how many of you have experienced that in your life? Well, it's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating. And, and I think that the real frustration stems from the fact that you have brought stagnation to a mechanism that was made for movement. And anytime you have stagnation on a mechanism that was made for movement, 
How many of you know that it breeds all kinds of frustration? And that's why you lose your mind when you're in traffic because you want to move. You want to go somewhere. You want to get to a destination. And I'm wondering today if the frustration that many of us face in life stems from the fact that our lives have become stagnant when God created us for movement. And I'm wondering if inherently and secretly we may have frustration because you know that God did not create you to be stuck or still or stagnant or stationary. But God is actually trying to take you somewhere. He has a plan. He has a promise. He has a purpose. And He's trying to move us into our destiny. He's trying to move us into our purpose. He's trying to move us into something new. And God wants to take us deeper from strength to strength, from glory to glory, from faith to faith. God is trying to take you and I somewhere because your God and my God is a God of movement. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, God is a God of movement. God is a God of movement. God is a God of movement. Because since creation, we see God as a God of movement. I'll give you some scripture for it. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was void and, and, and without form. And darkness covered the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was moving. Somebody say moving. And so we reach this text where the Bible says, one day, Peter and John are going together to the place of prayer. One day. And they noticed a man who is lame from birth and he's begging for money. Friends, make no mistake. That one day, change the trajectory of that lame man's life forever. And maybe some of us today, we need an interruption of a one day in our lives. Because this was an unexpected interruption. But with God, interruptions are necessary. Interruptions are unavoidable. And I came to tell, to tell you today that interruptions are actually part of the kingdom of God. Because all throughout the Bible, we see how God will strategically use interruptions as invitations for a miracle. You and I need an interruption. And so this man was interrupted by Peter and John. And keep in mind that when we are introduced to this lame man, we don't get his name. We do, but we do know that he was lame from birth. And in Acts chapter 4, we find out that he has been lame actually for about 40 years. And that's a long time. Why am I telling you this? And why is it important? It's important because this miracle did not happen long after Jesus ascended into heaven. So he's been there 40 years and every single day he's been dropped off at the temple gate. Ladies and gentlemen, it is highly plausible and almost inevitable that Jesus himself probably passed this man and saw him begging at the temple gate. Because Luke chapter 22 verse 53 says, Jesus was at the temple courts every day. And yet he never healed him. Which makes me go, how come? How come? Why didn't Jesus heal him when it's highly plausible that Jesus would have passed him on the way to the temple many times? Why didn't Jesus heal this lame man? And the answer to that question is, frankly, I don't know. I don't know. It speaks, hear me now, to the fact that healing is a sovereign work of God. 
I can't explain why he didn't choose to heal this man. But you know what? The man who was by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, Jesus chose to heal him. And I don't know why God healed that man and didn't heal this man. I don't know. I don't know why even today. There are some people that get their healing here on earth and there are some people that don't get their healing until God takes them home to glory. I don't know. It is the sovereign work of God. But you know what, church? What I do know, that it is my responsibility to believe that God is a healer and to know that it is His will to heal. I do know that it is my responsibility to lay hands on the sick and to pray for them to be healed. That is on me. But I really don't know why Jesus didn't heal this man. And I say that to somebody here today who may be wrestling with this question that we won't get the answer until we get to heaven as to why some people are healed here and why some people don't get healed until God takes them home to glory. But you know what? Another thought I had is maybe the reason why this man didn't get his healing was because Jesus and, why, and, and, and passed him and thought, that's the job of, of Peter and John. Peter and John are going to come later and I'm going to let them take care of it. My spirit is going to move in them and through them. And when I leave earth, you know, they will go forth in my power on my demand. Maybe that's why. You know, when I was uh, growing up, watching TV at home, I'm sure many of you will relate. There was only broadcast TV brought to you by Singapore Broadcasting Corporation, SBC. Come on, how many of you remember that? <laughs> and that means, broadcast TV means, that means that if there was a movie on TV at 10 p.m. and you just missed the first part, you just missed the first part. <laughs> You have to get in where you fit in and just watch the rest of it. And then you'll be mad at yourself for not pre-recording it on a VHS tape. But you know what? Today's family nights are completely different. My kids nowadays have a major problem because they cannot make up their minds on what they're going to watch on on-demand TV. You know, they take a whole hour scrolling on the smart TV, just trying to choose a movie. And then, you know what? By the, by the, by the time they choose one, the night is over. You know, there is so much choice. And I'm thinking to myself, you do not know the blessing of what you have to be able to pick movies on demand. You know, because on demand content has revolutionized the way we receive content. There is nothing like, you know, the, the beauty of being able to watch something whenever you want to watch it and to not be relegated to a broadcast schedule. And that happens on demand. Ladies and gentlemen, on demand is really, to me, the premise of the book of Acts and the early church. And this is where Jesus is making a transition to show his disciples that I need my power on the earth on my demand. By on my demand, I mean God has a remote control in His hands. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, how many of you know that all the miracles were only relegated to Jesus' earthly body? And the disciples were anxious after He got up from the grave saying, we don't want you to go. And He said, you don't understand. You don't understand. Because it is better that I go. It is in fact good for you that I go. Because when I go away, I'm going to leave with you the Holy Spirit. And I don't want the miracles just to be relegated to me. I want my power working in you and through
through you, and if my power works in you and through you, then people can actually get their breakthrough on my demand. They can get their healing on my demand. They can get restoration on my demand. They can get what they need on my demand. And he said, I'm getting ready to give you a power that when you walk by somebody and they are hurting or they're in pain or they're broken, you, you don't have to say, oh, wait, 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 wait right here. Let me go get Jesus. Because God wants to move in and through us. God wants to move us deeper through us on demand. And that, my friends, is the power of God working through us. And it can happen on demand. And that's what's happening in our text today. Peter and John are in the middle of a paradigm shift. They're in the middle of a new understanding of God's movement. That Jesus is not just going to move for us. He's going to move through us. And we can do something for God on His demand. And in his service. Hallelujah. Question is, does God have his way with us on demand? Isn't it powerful that Peter and John were the only ones to stop and perceive that this man needed a miracle? You see, very often, the miracles that God will do through us come with us just perceiving what He's doing. But we're very often too busy to stop and pause and say, God, what do you want to do through me? You know, one person said that if the enemy cannot get you to sin, he'll just get you to be busy because there's nothing like sin and busyness that will break your connection to God. And it's the same thing with miracles. If we are so busy living our own lives, we will miss out on the opportunities that God will want to use us as His conduits for His glory. And so we see in this text that Peter and John are walking together toward the temple. And they perceive this layman and they are moved to do something about it. The first question I'm asking myself, it's what in the world are Peter and John doing together in the first place? I mean, one creature is not like the other. You know, understand Jesus had already ascended. He's already left. And the only thing they had in common is that Jesus handpicked them. He selected them and they could have easily parted ways. But what in the world are Peter and John doing together? Because they are complete opposites. They're a walking contradiction. Come on, Peter, Peter was the oldest disciple, as you guys know, and... John was the youngest. He was a millennial. What are these two walking together? Peter, Peter was an extrovert. He would often talk to think, very often speaking his mind before he thinks. And John is an introvert. He thinks to talk. He just kind of like sits there and he processes things. And they're completely different. Come on, John is a cuddler. Peter is a fighter. They have nothing in common. When John was ready to prove his love for Jesus, he put his hand on his chest and just cuddled with Jesus. You see that in the Lord's Supper, isn't it? A famous painting. But when Peter got ready to prove his love for Jesus, he pulled out a switchblade and started cutting ears off. I'm trying to figure out how a gangster and a Gandhi are walking together to church. They are a walking contradiction. A walking contradiction. And maybe that's the whole point. This is the first miracle in the New Testament church 
they now have the perspective of Pentecost. And maybe God is trying to teach the church that what the culture calls a contradiction, He calls a collaboration. And very often people, you know, like, you know very often we like people that, that think like us, that walk like us, like talk like us. But can I tell you that our strength is not in our similarities. Our strength is actually in our differences. And moving deeper as a church means that we know how to collaborate even in places of contradiction. We may not be the same, but we can agree to disagree on some things. But you know what? Let's connect on the fact that people need to be healed. Let's connect on the fact that people need to be restored. Let's connect on the fact that the name of Jesus should be exalted and preached with power. What the world calls a contradiction, God says it is a divine collaboration. Peter and John, they are complete opposites. And yet God is collaboratively using them to do a miracle. We need each other. You need a Peter to say the things nobody else would say. When everybody else doesn't want to hurt their feelings, you need people to speak the truth in love, to say, that was wrong. That was unkind. That was rude. You need those people to speak the truth in love, to say you are wrong. Because sometimes you need people to say things other people don't want to say. You need such people. and But you also need John to be like, well, but you know, God's not done with you yet. You need both. And so maybe it's plausible that it was the compassion of John that noticed this lame man. But it took the courage of Peter to say, you're not going to get any money from me today. You need something more than money. Hallelujah. Isn't it so beautiful? Isn't it so rich? What scripture reveals to us. That what the world calls a contradiction, God calls a collaboration. And this is why we are creating platforms for us to work collaboratively in the church. Next week, Digital Wesley will be partnering with Indigenous Singapore to organize. Imagine that we as a church, we're going to organize what promises to be the largest Christian hackathon in Singapore. And you don't have to be tech-savvy to be involved, whether you're a coder or communicator, whether you are an entrepreneur or whether you are an engineer or a software developer or a salesman, there's no contradiction. We are the body of Christ. We all have different gifts and abilities and talents and skills that we can use collaboratively for the glory of God. Come join us to solve some real world problems to extend God's kingdom in the digital space. There are also numerous ministry opportunities to serve within our church as well. Do you know that there are more than 50 ministries and sub-ministries at Wesley Methodist Church? Check out the ministry fair at the plaza rooftop later after the service. And let's avail ourselves to serve God together as one body in Christ and allow God to turn those contradictions to collaboration. Hallelujah. I want to flip the lens downward right now to the layman. Because I don't know if you've ever considered what it might be like to be lame, to be paralyzed, you must understand that in biblical antiquity, there were no wheelchairs. There were no walkers. If you were lame, you are just sitting there with nowhere to move. You are literally a lame 
stuck. You are the epitome of stuck. And you might just get yourself comfortable when dropped off because this was going to be your position for a very, very long time. If you look at this man and you think about it, all that didn't work was his legs. Everything else was fine. He could see, he could hear, he could talk, his arms worked, everything else was working, his heart was beating. The only thing that didn't work was his legs. And the immobility of his legs affected his entire life. Isn't it funny how one thing can affect everything? It affected his economy. He had to beg for money. It affected his social construct. It affected everything. You know, sometimes in life, you think there is something wrong with everything. But in actuality, there is something wrong with one thing. And if you can get that one thing in order, how many of you know that that one thing will take care of everything else. I came to tell somebody here today that God is concerned not with dealing with the surface level of things in our lives, but He actually wants to go deeper and deal with the one thing that is affecting everything else. He wants to deal with that one thing. So I could start talking about this man's lameness, but was that really the one thing? I want to talk about his behavior of begging because the behavior of begging is a byproduct of being lame. When you don't have mobility in your legs, what job options do you have? All he is forced to do in his behavior is to beg. So we could talk about the behaviors in our lives that are a byproduct of the trauma in our lives. But in between the trauma and the behavior, there is something deeper. There is the mentality there is the psychology of helplessness and of hopelessness. In between the trauma of his legs and the behavior of begging is the psychology of hopelessness. And hear me today, if the enemy is after anything in your life, he's after your hope. He wants to reach a place in your life where you wake up and say, this will not get better, this will not change. And hear me now, the day you lose your hope, in my opinion, you might as well lose your legs. In fact, I'd rather have a person who is lame but has hope than a person that has full mobility of their legs but has lost their hope. And there are numerous examples of people in the this, amongst the disabled community who are lame but they're still playing basketball. They're doing all kinds of amazing things. This isn't going to stop them from living life to the fullest. But if you have lost your hope, you have lost everything. And in between his behavior of begging and his trauma of his legs is the psychology of hopelessness. And here's how you know you've lost your hope. You know you've lost your hope when you stop looking up. You missed it in the text. The Bible says that when Peter and John came to him, he asked him for money. And that's the behavior. The blind the, the, the blame man, he's begging. The Bible also says that the first thing that Peter and John say to this man is not get up and walk. The first thing they say is, look at us. 
So that means this man is begging, looking down. Arms for the lame, please. Anybody help? Help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. And when you're stuck in a position for so long, when it happened from birth, maybe there was a season he was looking up just saying, I can still do something. Something can still happen. But after years and years, your physicality will show us your psychology because he doesn't even look up anymore to see who's putting money down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He just listens to the change hit the bottom of the cup, never looking up. Because what hope does he have to look up to? Until one day, Peter and John stopped to actually look at him. This is showing us the power of a look. No wonder they said, look at us. That was the first miracle. Friends, after years of having your head down, do you actually even have the faith to look up again? You will always move in the direction of where you're looking. So before they even dealt with his legs, they had to start by getting him to lift his head up again. And I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but I believe God wants me to tell you, you better look up. Your situation may be down, but God says start looking up. Start believing again. Start claiming again. Start dreaming again. Start praying again. Start trusting again. You gotta look up. You and I need to look up. No wonder this man never got up. He never looked up. His head was down. No wonder Peter and John did a miracle because they were looking for one. They were looking for somebody to experience the power that they experienced in the upper room. And that's why everybody, when everybody else was walking by, they said, no, we cannot walk by. We've had an encounter with God. We're looking for something. It's all about where you look. Look at the intersection of what's happening. A man who was looking down and two disciples who are looking for a miracle. When faith and hopelessness collide and intersect, somebody's got to give up the right away. Somebody's got to step aside because hopelessness cannot abide when faith shows up. Peter said, look at us. And he looked up, expecting to get something from them. The question is, what do you think he was expecting? Money, right? He's probably thinking, if only somebody's going to fill my cup with change. But is that really what he needed? Or did he need to be healed? Church, do you know your need? He needed healing, but he was expecting money. And knowing his expectation, and there I say low expectation for money, because he didn't have the hope to believe in mobility. They looked at him, and Peter and John said, silver and gold I do not have. 
Imagine when they said that, the disappointment in this man's face. Why did you stop just to make me look up? To let me know that you don't have it? Silver and gold you do not have? Imagine how disappointed this man was to hear those words, not even knowing that his greatest disappointment will be followed by the greatest miracle. Friends, sometimes your greatest miracle is preceded by your greatest disappointment. Who am I preaching to today? Sometimes it's after the bankruptcy that you actually get the idea for the business. Sometimes it's after you get fired that God actually raises you up to a place where you're no longer an employee but the boss. Sometimes it's after a person breaks your heart that you actually get the one that God created you for. Don't give up just because you are disappointed. Sometimes it's after your greatest disappointments that God does the miracle. Hallelujah. Silver and gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. What I have, I give you. You can only give what you have. And here's what I've got. I don't have the money, but let me tell you what I do have. I have a name. I have a name. I love this passage. You know, this is the first time in the Bible I see when somebody name drops. You know, we live in a culture where people like to name drop. I know so and so. I know so and so. That's my cousin. Oh, that's my brother's friend. You know, we like to name drop. You know, I know so and so. But can I tell you, that if you are going to name drop, drop a name that can get somebody back up again. Drop a name that has a power to heal the sick. Drop a name that's got a power to raise the dead. Drop a name that at the mention of that name, demons will have to, tr- to tremble. Drop a name who is our deliverer. Drop a name who is our restorer. Drop a name who is our savior. Drop a name who is a mender of broken hearts. Drop a name that at the mention of that name, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is power in that name. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in His name. Somebody, somebody say an amen to that. There is power in that name. Peter said in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And all of a sudden, strength came to the man's legs and he just got up. He started running. He started jumping. He did the impossible. Nobody even taught him how to walk. He didn't have to go to physiotherapy. But he went into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. Hallelujah. I want to take us deeper. You know, the name, only has the power to the degree that you're connected to it. Peter and John were not shallow followers. They were deep disciples. For three years, they walked with him. For three years, they left family and walked away from things. They were connected to that name. So they knew its power. So away with this thinking and notion of just saying the name of Jesus and you pray just once every four months. You've got to be connected. You know what? My microwave, my kitchen is amazing and powerful. It can cook all kinds of delicious and beautiful things. But it is only as powerful as it is plugged in. So we have to move deeper. We have to be connected to that name and not just say that name. We need to be connected to it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Nazareth. Why Nazareth? Oh, I told you we've got to go deeper. 
I didn't see this the first time. Why in the world did they say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? That's a specific city. Why not in the name of Jesus Christ of Bethlehem? That's where he was born. Why not in the name of Jesus Christ of Capernaum? That's where he did a lot of his ministry. Why in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Arise and walk. Maybe it's something to do with the fact that the word Nazareth comes from the Greek word netza, which actually means branch or sprout. The imagery is of a stump that has been cut down, that was once a massive tree and was cut all the way down to, its, to the point where people were saying that, what a great tree that was. But it's been cut down all the way to its stump. There is no hope again. Nothing can come out of it, this stump, because somebody cut it all the way down. The imagery is of a tree that's been cut down all the way to its stump. But you know what? All of a sudden, if you go back to that tree that you thought that was cut down, that you were thought, well, that you thought was down and out, that you thought, you go back to that tree that you thought the chapter was closed. If you go back to the tree that you thought was dead, all of a sudden you see just a little bit of a sprout coming back up, just like what on the screen. And maybe he was trying to let this man know, yes, you've been down and out for 40 years, but there is still a sprout. There is still hope. Just like they thought Jesus was down and out and they hung him high and they stretched him wide. But three days later, he got out of the grave with power in his hands. Don't let anybody tell you it is over in whatever situation of life you may be in today. Because it isn't over until God says it's over. We need some Peter and Johns that demand us to move deeper with God. Scratching the surface would be to give you money. Deeper says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And they didn't even stop there. They reached down and the Bible says they took him by the right hand and helped him up. And that's the role of the church, the body of Christ. That's the role for us here at Wesley Methodist Church. Let us give you a hand to help you up so your strength can come back to your legs and you can leap again and jump again and run again. You know, the Bible says every day he would be carried off to the temple and dropped off at the temple gate. And that made me think that if every day he got dropped off, that means somebody brought him there. He had a community of support. Moving deeper is going to require us to be connected to community. We can't move deeper in isolation. But hear me now, it will not be comfortable. Moving deeper demands you to lose your comfort, to be accountable. For we need the community to move us into our purpose, to move us into our destiny, to see us the way God sees us so we are no longer defined by our dysfunction or allow ourselves to get to a place where our issue becomes our identity. It requires somebody to tell us to stretch and look up so that we can be strong again, so that we can be the fullness of who God wants us to be. And we are all transformed. For you know what? That man's one day was also a one day for the whole community. Watch this. The Bible says they recognized him as the same man. Worship team, join me. When he started walking and jumping and praising God in the temple, 
they recognized him as the same man that used to sit there begging. And that is positive proof that God didn't even waste his pain. Every one of those 40 years, when he sat there by the gate begging, counted for something because he sat there long enough that people recognized him. So they saw him broken, but they saw him healed as well. God allowed people around him to see him in his begging season. And they also saw him in his leaping season. And I'm telling you that the thing, that one thing that you're even ashamed about can become the greatest platform to declare the goodness of Jesus Christ who makes all things beautiful, who makes beautiful things out of the broken pieces of our lives. We just need to keep showing up. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. What if that layman said, I'm tired of getting dropped by the temple every day. Drop me somewhere else. You know what? At least he was in the right vicinity. He's sitting at the temple gate called beautiful. Come on. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up at church. Just keep showing up at small groups. Just keep showing up at ministry fellowships. Just keep availing yourself to serve. Just keep showing up. Getting into the right atmosphere. Getting into the right environment is sometimes the first step to moving deeper. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. Just keep bringing your friends and your loved ones to the beautiful gate. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up with them. Because I believe God's Spirit is going to move. And He's going to keep moving. He's going to move us deeper and deeper and deeper because He's going to keep us moving deeper and deeper from the beautiful gate into the arms of a beautiful Savior. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. Let's come before the Lord in prayer right now. You know, the Lord is here in this place. Maybe for some of us, we need a fresh touch of the Lord today. Maybe like this lame man, we have forgotten what hope is. Like this lame man, our head has been down for this season. For some of us, our head has been down for years and years. And Jesus says to you and I today, I need you to look up. Look up. Look at me. Maybe for some of us, there is that one thing that is affecting everything in our lives today. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's a struggle that you have in the workplace. Maybe it's a conflict situation. Whatever that it may be, the Lord wants to reach us and help us out today out of that need. For some of us, we've had problems even just asking God, and perhaps we're asking God for the wrong things and we need the Lord to reveal to us what that one thing is that's going to affect everything. Church, maybe money is not your problem. Maybe health is not your problem. God wants to move us into a deeper relationship with Him today. He wants to move us deeper and deeper and deeper so that when we call upon that name, we are connected to that name. There's power in that name. We're not just saying that name, but we are proclaiming that name. 
And I believe the Lord wants us to proclaim the name of Jesus over our lives today. And that lame man, like that lame man, I believe, church, that your one day is going to happen here right now. You may have come to church with an infirmity. Maybe you are lame. But you're going to leave this place leaping again, jumping again, walking again, because you're walking with Jesus. And I'd like to pray for you. If you are in a season of your life where you do not feel hope, and where you need the light of Christ to shine in your life right now, if there's something you're struggling with, I'd just like you to just raise your hands right now as a sign to God. Just raise your hands and put it down. I see your hands. Just raise your hands quickly and put it down. Brother, I see your hand. Sister, I see your hand. Just raise your hand and put it down. It's just between you and the Lord right now. The Lord wants to deliver us. The Lord wants to bring us through that beautiful gate. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. One more time, raise your hands if you need a prayer. Hallelujah. I see hands all over the place. Hallelujah. Come, let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you that you are a God who lifts us up. You're a God who heals us. You're a God who restores us. You're a God who does the impossible. You're a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask for or imagine. And I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here in this place. For some of them today, they're so down and low, like that lame man, they cannot even look up. They've been looking all over the place but looking at Jesus. Father, I pray right now that you would help them to lift their heads up high right now, to fix their eyes on Jesus. And I want to proclaim to them over their lives, just as Peter and John said to the lame man, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. Be set free from your problem. In the name of Jesus, get set free from your circumstance. In the name of Jesus, the shackles and chains that bind you be broken in the name of Jesus. I pray for all those who have up their hands today, whether it's a rest, restoration issue, whether it's a reconciliation issue, whether it's a health issue, whether it's an issue in the workplace. I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters that you would fill them with a new spirit today, a paradigm shift of their thinking that they may come here today with hearts heavy and burdened, but they will leave this place with the joy of the Lord being their strength. They will leave this place leaping and jumping and walking and praising the Lord because they've had an encounter with you and that you're doing a changing work in their lives. And so I pray, my dear friends, in the name of Jesus, be set free for your God is for you. Your God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. No weapon formed against you will ever be able to prosper because our God and our Lord will take you today from that beautiful gate into the arms of a beautiful Savior. You are well loved. Receive His love today. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand in this place. All glory and honor belongs to Him. He is the great I am. Hallelujah. Praise be to God.